0: Oh, Heavenly Father, this is a great joy to gather with your people today. May we see the Son, the Lord Jesus, in your word, and may we savor him. And would you well up in our hearts a song that we cannot help but to sing of his glory as a result of spending time together today. Amen. Well, it is indeed a joy to be with you here today. Uh, My name is Aaron Cook. And it's a privilege for me to serve as an elder here. And uh, it's a real treasure to be here and sharing with you you all uh, this morning. Now, when I was prepping, and even a little bit right now, I must admit to you, uh, I was a bit nervous. And, uh, but then I remembered uh, how many of us have uh, long histories with one another. And I knew many of your kids from serving at camp before I knew you, and uh, I never thought we would leave camp, but uh, I always prayed, Lord, if we ever do leave, would you allow us to continue serving in the same circles, and indeed, that's exactly what the Lord has done eight years ago. uh, God moved us here, and I'm just so thankful to be able to worship with you all. Today, my, my hope for us is that we would, number one, See the sun. That we would savor the Savior, and then that we would sing the song. That's what that's what I'm hoping to accomplish today. Now this is a special time of year, isn't it? It uh, brings many memories to mind. To me, I think of uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, or, or even for some of us, the Rudolph the uh, claymation. You know. The snowy monster, whatever that guy is, he still scares me. So, Or even in these days, we love family time and maybe watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy again as a family. Some other things come to mind. We, I love Christmas ornaments. Um, my mom had this theme for us growing up that, that uh, she would always give us a Christmas ornament, and each of us kids had, had a different theme, and mine was trains because I was... Uh, n- named after one of my relatives who was a uh, train conductor, and I st- I love getting them out. And one of the neatest things she did was she wrote the year on it that uh, she gave it to us. And I love bringing out that 1977 one, which of course I didn't remember because that was my first one. But I loved looking at it, and I can still see it in my mind. I love times, and I'm sure you do too. Times spent with family playing games and eating special foods. I could preach a whole sermon just on that, probably. (laughs) You guys would be totally fine with that, most likely. uh, I love good conversations around a cozy fire, reading some good books. I love Christmas tree lights. I love them, especially in the morning or late at night, when I just sit there and maybe turn out all the rest of the lights and just think about things that are really important. It seems like that's a fitting time for that remembering good memories of even those who aren't with us anymore. And then I love to think over the previous year about God's faithfulness and spend time being thankful. And our text today uh, that Lila just read is, uh, has a special place in my heart. I've heard it over and over, and likely you have too. Um, it was our tradition, and it was a good tradition, that we read it every Christmas Eve at my Grammy and Papa's house, before we uh, would open the presents, And each cousin would take t- their turns in reading it. You know, traditions can be good. And even if we don't maybe understand them in the beginning, or we maybe have a little bit of a wrong motive, like a lot of times I thought of the scripture reading as what we need to do before the presence, you know? And God can even work with wrong motives, can't he? And over time, I realized from these good traditions that big things can come from them. Traditions can be good. They can remind us that Jesus is what Christmas is all about, that family is really important and deep friendship, that you do the important things first. It's good to celebrate. And friends, it's always good to do good things over and over. And a little note here to our parents. Parents, be encouraged. You're training up your children in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord maybe more than you might realize by the things, the ordinary things that you regularly do. You are saying and teaching and training massive things every time you get up in the morning and your kids see you reading your Bible. It says more than thousands of words could say. Now, traditions can be good, but also familiar can be dangerous. We can be so familiar with something, maybe even like this passage, that we miss the real meaning of it. But we must risk being familiar if we're ever able to embrace the wonder. Because knowing God is not less than knowing things about God, but it is oh so much more. So the question I have for us today, and I want us to consider, and I think this passage can help us with, is how can I avoid settling for the familiar veneer of Christmas? There's a lot of things vying for our attention, a lot of busyness that can keep us from the real meaning and what really, really matters. Well, I propose to you that it's right from this text. Number one, believe the story, Then, and let's see what God has done over and over Number two, behold the song of the story. Let's savor the right responses of Mary and the shepherds. And then, beloved, sing the song. Sing the song of the Savior. And then you will do, you you will center your Christmas and your life on what really matters, the Christ, the Lord Jesus, who was born. And you'll center your entire life around making him your greatest delight. But before we jump in here, I want want us to think about that this really does harmonize with Matthew. Clearly, we're not in Matthew. Trent referred to Matthew, and there's a reason for that. But it harmonizes. We're given four Gospels, four portraits of our great and beautiful Savior. And each of these Gospels highlights different things about Jesus. Among the Gospels, Matthew and Luke include more details about the birth of Christ. We already preached through Matthew. We want to look at Luke and how he highlights the humanity of Jesus, which I think we need to see today. Even if you want to look a little bit more in Luke chapter 3, you'll notice the genealogy goes all the way back to Adam, which is really where the story begins. I'd like uh, for a little help to get a little bit of background on the story from one of my favorite books, the Jesus Storybook Bible. So let me read to you. From the story in the song, introduction from Psalm 19 and Hebrews 1. The, the heavens are singing about how great God is, and the skies are shouting it out. See what God has made. Day after day, night after night, they're speaking to us. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us to know him, to make Our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims, and God put it into words too and wrote it in the book called The Bible. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one that he loves it's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life you see the best thing about this story is that it's true there are lots of stories in the Bible but all the stories are telling one big story the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them and it takes the whole Bible to tell that story and at the center of the story there's a baby Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is a child upon whom whom everything would depend. The best thing about this story is that it's true. It really took place in real time, in real space, and with real people. And the entire Bible is calling us to believe this story of all stories. You see here again from um, chapter 2 of Luke 1-7, through In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. You see, there is no story like this one. The important and powerful of the world simply play supporting roles in the storyline to bring about God's plan. God uses obscure places and ordinary people to play center stage in his epic drama. And the story continues He's here. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in, and when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came And there in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as a cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named his name Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us because, of course, he had. This is incredible. The creator and sustainer of all things come to dwell with us. Let's think about this maybe with an illustration of other stories, which we know all great stories derive their meaning and flow and, and purpose from the story, this story. But, but this story is different. Think about it here. Did Shakespeare ever speak with Juliet? I mean, he pinned her, he created her, but did he speak with her? Has Tolkien ever enjoyed a pint of ale at the Prancing Pony? Some of you know what that means. Or did Lewis ever walk through that famous wardrobe? Or, tried, or let's try to push this illustration a little bit closer. Did C.S. Lewis ever consider paying the penalty for Edmund's treachery? That's impossible. How could that be? Yet, to a much greater degree, that's exactly what has happened here because Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the sustainer of all realities, left the really real reality to enter into this one that we know. The author of the story stepped into it, subjected himself to its rules, becoming the humblest of character, a baby, while at the same time holding all things together. The whole trajectory of Scripture has been zeroing in on this moment, Emmanuel, God with us. The one who needs nothing and holds the universe is now needing to be held. The one who who could do anything at all was making himself small. Dear friends, God has come near to dwell with us, and this changes everything. God came near so that we could draw to him. He doesn't simply come generally near, however, but to specific people, some pretty unlikely. Let's read on. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The shepherds were doing what shepherds do. They were tending their sheep, and in, at night, in particular, was a time that was very important to, for them to pay close attention because, of course, the sheep were vulnerable to thieves and robbers or predators. And one interesting note as well that uh, I noticed, or I didn't notice, I read, is that they would also, these shepherds, likely understand what was meant when Jesus was later called the Lamb of God, as they were likely tending the sheep outside the gates that those sheep were likely headed for slaughter at the temple sacrifices. But notice this. This good news is first revealed to those in lowly position in society, and they knew it. Their their society was reminding them over and over that they didn't measure up. They were on the outside. They knew it. But this is not surprising in God's upside-down economy that Jesus in fact identifies with the lowly. He actually calls himself a good shepherd, which has a good connotation to us, but probably not back then. This is staggering. If you are lowly, or at least feeling that way, this is good news. Because apparently from God's perspective, lowly people are valued. Then Bethlehem, the city of David, it's likely that it was not really a city, but rather obscure in size, though Luke probably uses the word city more to indicate its veiled importance in the narrative of history. Now, we know a little something about a small city or town or rather village filled with ordinary people, don't we? The message of Christmas, you see, is not simply that God has come near to an obscure village in the ancient Near East, but he has come near to us." Now some of us here may be finding this hard to believe. You're right, it is. It requires faith, and God gives faith as a gift. Don't worry, God knows this is difficult. But would you consider asking God to give you this faith to believe if this is a struggle today? Some of this may be finding this hard to believe. Not, not that the facts, we're, we're okay with that, but maybe that this story could actually include you. You might say, if he really knew me, he couldn't love me. You don't know where I've been or what I've done. He knows exactly every crevice of your heart, dear friends, and calls you loved. You're completely no- known and yet completely loved. God actually only comes to the, near to the lowly, the needy people who know it, like the shepherds. Now for some of us, we're pondering Jesus, as, as we ponder Jesus humbling himself and entering into our reality, there is a welling up beginning in your soul of gratitude and awe. It's hard to describe because at time, it seems to just bubble up and overflow. And this is what we'll see in the next scene as more ordinary characters take center stage. We wanna take, take time to ponder this. Let's set in this for a moment. Maybe, maybe you might think of a word that describes your response to this. the, The feeling that you get as you consider the creator of the universe entering into our story to ultimately secure our salvation. How does that strike you? What's your heart response to that? Ponder a moment. Maybe take time to write that word down and think about it. Too often we just run past things. This text bids us to ponder a bit. And that's how we avoid missing the reality of Christmas. We don't just give a glance of cognitive agreement with the basic flow of the historical events, although we do agree with them, but we really believe, we really embrace the story of all stories. You see, God doesn't simply demand our attention, although he does. He doesn't simply demand our attention, but he desires our abiding. God doesn't simply demand our attention, but he desires our abiding. When we really believe the story, it doesn't stop there, does it? This type of believing leads us forward, which is exactly what we see in this next scene. Though there can be hindrances to real belief. In verses 10 through 14, we're called to behold the song of the story. Verse 10, and the angel said to him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The shepherds were understandably terrified, and I'd venture to say that we would be too. They're used to looking up and just seeing the stars. But the angel says, Fear not. My question is, what what was he saying, and how is that possible? to see that sight and fear not. Well, what he wasn't saying was that don't fear because this is not dangerous. Rather, fear appropriately. I love this quote from Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as we think about. um, And it's between Aslan and Lucy and Mr. Beaver talking about God, of course, alluding to. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Fear God. Rejoice and tremble before him, but... Don't allow your fear of the immediate to obscure the beholding of the eternal. Let's think about that. Don't allow the fear of the immediate to obscure the beholding of the eternal. I can relate to this. I'm a fearful person, naturally. I'm scared all the time. So this hits home to me. Friends, there are immediate temporal fears in our lives that are robbing us of really beholding this good news. God knows this. He knows how the story ends. Trust him. We can do that. Even, um, even this morning as I was sitting down there and my heart was beating really fast, I, I, I was quoting Isaiah 41.10 in my mind that God is with me. He will strengthen me. He will uphold me. With his righteous right hand. And he will for you too, dear friends. But being held captive by our fears and understanding our neediness, however, are two different things. The shepherds understood their need. But there is something far more dangerous than the darkness of the night that, or the magnitude of the angels that the shepherds were experiencing at that moment. What is far more dangerous for us today and for them as well What's far more dangerous is not realizing our perilous spiritual condition apart from Christ. Because the prerequisite to really seeing Jesus is to have need and to know it. That's good news because we all have it. That's the only thing that we bring to this equation, isn't it? Is need. And guess what? God can meet our needs and he loves to do it. He's not irritated with you because you have needs. He knows it. He tells you, and he delights to meet our needs. Oh, beloved, as put by one of my favorite teachers, the gospel tells us that our condition is far worse than we could ever imagine. But also, at the same time, it tells us that we're far more loved than we could ever dare to dream. Our condition is far worse than we could ever imagine, and yet, His love for us is far greater than we could ever dare to dream. So, friends, like the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, but behold, because your proper beholding is the antidote to your improper fearing. Your proper beholding is the antidote to your improper fearing. It's like the pilot who's trusting his instruments to stay the course even though everything inside him is screaming that he's going into a nosedive. Dear friends, do you feel like you're in a nosedive today? Set your gaze on the truth. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Acknowledge your fears. They're there. They're real. But then... Behold the good news. Acknowledge and leave them where they are. Our fears, they need to be in the back seat, buckled in. And and the truth is, is in the driver's seat. So why not fear? Because there's good news. How do I experience it? Behold. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased." Behold, this is good news of great joy. Friends, first of all, this is news of what God has done. This is not advice on how we are to clean ourselves up in order to be accepted by God. We could never do that. No, this is good news declaring of what God has done. And we can rest in it. Let that sink in. Because some of us would, myself included, I I, I definitely struggle with this, that we would acknowledge that in our minds, yes. And yet my emotions and my actions oftentimes would betray what I know to be true. That this is good news, not advice. Some of us, and I'm preaching to myself, need to stop grasping after and just gaze. End your reaching and just rest and revel in this reality. Cease your striving and just savor. When you savor, that always leads to singing. Behold, Good news of great joy. Jesus is the Christ. The Lord and the line of David is born. He will save people from their sin and cause their worship to bend appropriately to God because we all have a worship problem. People's hearts will begin to beat in harmony with the universe. Glory to God in the highest, pointing to God, revealing God, adoring God. There is good news, but there's also a sobering warning here, dear friends. It's not a general universal peace with God for all, but peace with whom he is pleased. John Piper, in his short devotional Solid Joys on this text, says this, Peace for whom? There is a somber note note sounded in the angel's praise. Peace among those on whom his favor rests. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. But without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11:6. So Christmas does not bring peace to all. If we jump forward to the end of the chapter, Simeon said what he saw when he saw the child Jesus, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a s- sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Piper again says, Oh, how many there are who look out on a bleak and chilly Christmas day and see no more than that, a sign to be opposed. But the good news is this, the key that unlocks the treasure chest of God's peace is faith in the promises of God. So Paul prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, Romans fifteen thirteen. And when we do trust the promises of God and have joy and peace and love, then God is glorified, he's praised. When we enjoy him and rest in his promises, this good news will benefit everyone generally, but certain people specifically. I'm reminded of this illustrated very well on a a mission trip that I get to go on every year with some friends. And and we actually support a, a ministry out here to the, uh, in the at the Navajo reservation the Navajo Indi- Indians, and uh, I love my time there, but it's also a sobering time, because I'm reminded I've got lots of friends out there who are faithfully ministering, but I'm reminder of the the dark culture that's there. It's rampant with fear, drugs, alcohol, alcoholism, and infidelity. And primarily men are abdicating their responsibilities in every way. But, but, when the gospel captures the hearts and minds of especially parents, especially the father, everything changes. I'm reminded of my dear friends, Rafer and Natalie, who ever, their, their lives were going south in Uh, many, many ways, and yet then the gospel took over and it changed everything. When the gospel got a hold of Rafer, wow, it's awesome to behold. And it started to benefit everybody around him. The way he went to work changed. The way he interacted with his wife changed. The way he raised his children changed and now they're rising up in leadership there amongst their people. When the gospel takes over us, it benefits everyone. It's good news to all who are around it. You see, God doesn't only desire our private abiding, but delights in our public adoration. And when we're Enamored with the gospel, that's what happens. It just starts to go out and influence others. Verse 15 through 20, when the angels went away from he- them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lion in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to, the- to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Beloved, this, this last text reminds us of who we are, beloved, and it calls us to sing this song because you will attract others to what you sing. You always do. Notice the shepherds. They went with haste, and they made known what was, what was told to them. The angels' praising led to the shepherds' pursuing and eventual proclaiming. There was a progression here from the proclamation of that message of worship from the shepherds. And then Mary treasured and then ponders. And she likely remembers her encounter with the angel earlier when he said, O favored one, the Lord is with you in chapter 1. And then Mary asks, how? She investigates. Again, the Jesus Storybook Bible helps us a bit. The angel said, Mary, you are going to have a baby, a little boy. You'll call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He is the one. He is the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around, the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God, Gabriel said. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Mary saw, she believed, and she worshiped. Then Mary praises, My soul magnifies the Lord. The angels praised, which led to the shepherds pursuing, Mary's pondering, and then their collective praising. And this is why we exist, dear friends. We know this because we do it so naturally. We always praise what we love. So, as we are finishing up here, let's take some inventory what do you treasure up in your heart? Where does your mind go when it's idle? What do you ponder? Does your pondering lead to praising? What do others praise or ponder as a result of spending spending time with you? Do you know that God treasures you? You see, he came near to make that very clear. And he eventually would crush his son so he doesn't have to, has to crush you and me. Do you realize that if you have believed, if you have embraced this beautiful true story of the sending of the Son, your primary identity, like Mary, is favored one or beloved. Sounds a lot like by grace or Unmerited favor, you have been saved. So as a result of what we've heard, what must be we think, feel, or do? Let's strategize for a moment. I love this time of year to think think back on the past year and then think towards strategies for for cultivating growth in our lives for for the coming year. How do we cultivate our belief? How do we move from fear to flourishing? by beholding at 2 Corinthians 3:18 and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit it's, it's him who's doing it but the primary means by for our transformation is beholding his glory in his word this reminds us that we're beloved and it results in lives that sing. Lives that are compelling, that are magnetic for the story that captivates us. Another way to cultivate our belief is, and it goes right along with this, do ordinary or good things over and over again. Maybe this is a time for you to um, re-strategize about your Bible intake. I love to to talk about getting a place that we're going to meet every morning, get it ready. I've always got my coffee there with me, and get a, get a plan as to where I'm going to go in my Bible reading. And then recently, I've really enjoyed a growth in prayer. I always feel deficient in my prayer life, and there's a little app that you can look up if it might be helpful to you called Prayer Mate. It's been very helpful to me. What if we were to pray prayers like Philippians 1, 8 through 11 for people this year, that their love would abound more and more in all knowledge and depth of insight? What if, what if you prayed for that for two people this next year? Imagine if we did that, what would happen to our family here? The angels praised and proclaimed which led to the shepherds pursuing, proclaiming, and praising, which then led to Mary's pondering and treasuring. But did it stop there? If we look a little bit further in the rest of the chapter, it's a little bit more obscure and hidden, but it did lead to praising. And when the time came for their purification, that's verse 22, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. It was obscure because her obedience, her praising, looked very, very ordinary. It was just obedience. But her obedience led to others' praising. Listen to this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to Him, speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And as we finish, let's note the content of Simeon's praise. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Beloved, this is why even at Christmas, we sing our praises often in a minor key, because it points to the piercing of both our Savior and our own. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dear friends, he loves you and he gave himself for you. Our praising points to the piercing to come. But remember, that's not the final word. The piercing is not the final word. Oh no, the parade is the final word where the son will not return as a child to suffer, but a conquering king. So beloved, this, in this Christmas season and in this year to come, let's see the son. Let's savor the Savior and sing the song. Let's pray. Oh Father, we need you to do what we cannot do. We need you to help us see. We need to, for you to transfer and transform our fear into believing. God, may our believing lead to pointing to the Lord Jesus, to, to praising, the sort of praise that would call others to you, that would be compelling, and that they would see and treasure you as a result. God, we need you. We need one another to remind us of this story and this song, and may we collectively sing it together for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.